and welcome to Peer Pressure. Today's guest is John Ricci, guitarist and founding member of Canadian band Exciter. Today we'll discuss Exciter in a Tom Cruise movie. He'll also talk about the tour that Exciter did with Merciful Fate and Motorhead, among other things. Thanks to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast. And thanks to Lizberg for technical support. Away we go. John, how are you? Great, Diane. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. I was fortunate enough to see Exciter on the 70,000 Tons of Metal Cruise. Um, I guess uh, it was earlier this year. That was, first of all, an amazing experience altogether. And great to see Exciter again. How did you, um, how did you enjoy the cruise? Well, I mean... The whole setup was professionally run, you know, a huge venue, a huge ship as far as I'm concerned, and the three stages. And, um, you know, if you were really, really good, you could see all the bands. You know, you could be on the 11th floor in the pool deck, watch one band, go down to the 7th floor, the next venue, go down to the 5th floor. I mean, I did that when we weren't, you know, playing. I mean, I was trying to catch as many bands as possible. I mean, the people that worked the ship and, you know, all all the fans that were there and then just, you know, rock and metal people that we met for the first time you know it was such a family vibe on that ship hmm. i mean you could have talked to anyone on the on the ship and you know within 20 minutes they're your best friend which <laughs> which is a good thing you know so and then at the you know at the end of the night everyone would end up in that uh, i don't know if you had a chance to go to that karaoke bar oh yes where you had all these you know Heavy metal singers singing Michael Jackson songs. You know, right, it's great. Yeah, I think there's I think there's some stellar YouTube videos uh, out there from from those experiences. Well, our, our singer Kenny, I mean, he was up there doing some rap song, and he did it perfect. Huh? I forget what song it was, but whole, I mean, he had it down. He, you know, he had it nailed down. <laughs> Does that have you look at him any well, differently? I, 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 I kept telling him, I said, Kenny, I mean, you sang the rap song better you, than you do an Exciter song. <laughs> hmm, hmm, you got to wonder about that. Well, what, no. <laughs> what's Kenny doing with his spare time? Kenny actually lives in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, we all have regular jobs. And uh, he works uh, in New York City and plays an Exciter, you know, so. How difficult is it for you guys to get together? When he first joined the band in 2006, he was coming up to where we live here in Ottawa, Canada, more frequently to practice. But then we started gigging more often. So as a result, we were pretty tight. So he doesn't come up that often lately. But uh, if we have like a really important gig, he'll come up and rehearse with us. But we're competent enough musicians that we don't have to rehearse all the time. Because if if you practice too much, you actually get stale. Instead of you know getting that uh, uh, spontaneous energy that we need when we play live. Well, I certainly saw the spontaneous energy of Exciter <laughs> on the. Uh... Well, we know we have a reputation of being like intense all the time. Yeah. Um, so, with the current members of Exciter, you know we're not the original guys. Um, we've retained that real live, in-your-face, intenseness. You know, and I think 
the fans really, really pick up on that. They know that we're playing from the heart. They know we're not just going through the movements and, and posing for the sake of it. So I think that's what sets Exciter apart from you know, some other bands where they're up there, they're playing, but then they're really they're not really coming from deep inside. You know, where Exciter, we you know we create it while we're playing. You just about created the genre also. Well, in, in a strange kind of way, it was accidental. Like, we really didn't know our early material. We really didn't know, how should I put it? Uh, we didn't know we were creating something new. We were just trying to write good songs. When we started to get the reaction from record companies that we had sent our demo to, and, you know, they got back to us right away, and they would ask us, you know, what, what is this music? What is it? Like, what do you call it? What style of heavy metal is it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, we had no idea that uh, we were, you know, pioneering this original genre of the next movement of heavy metal, you know. You know, I, I tell many journalists it was accidental the way we discovered our style. We were just trying to, we were just trying to imitate bands that influenced us in the 70s, which was mostly British heavy metal music, you know. But you just did it your way. We just did it our way without actually sounding like anybody else. Also, I discovered my guitar style during that time. Before that, and we were playing cover material, and you know, obviously, you always sound like somebody else. But we came up with the first batch of original songs, and they were very unique. Then I applied my playing style to coincide with Exeter's style. So that was a conscious uh, switch for you to, like, when you realized sort of how the songs were hanging together, to really make sure that you that you had a guitar well, style and you well, stayed with once, it. Well, once once. We got the formula. Uh, that's the formula I stay with till today. <laughs> you know, I don't like to venture too much away from our, uh, our our formula that we have. Well, and that's one of the great things about Exciter, though, because there's bands that have been around for a couple of decades, and some really will sort of switch their style. And you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, you don't know what the next Metallica record's going to sound like. Well, you know, I respect Metallica a lot. Oh, sure, of course. I mean, um, they they obviously have done so much for for heavy music in their time, and. I also really like the steadfastness that Exciter has, and and you in particular, because you recognize that it's a guitar style, and fans count on that. Everywhere we travel around the world, we get very, very nice comments from bands that are playing with us or opening for us, who actually have gone on to become a higher-profile band. They tell us how much we influence them. How does that feel? I'm a pretty modest guy. It feels fantastic because even if Exciter doesn't get any further than we are today, at least I know I made a difference somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, getting Heavy Metal Maniac and just being like, this is like the fiercest record I've ever well, heard. Well, we just played in April. We played with uh, Megadeth and, Anth- well, not Anthrax, Megadeth in Brazil at Metal Open Air. Oh, wow. How was that? It was fantastic. And... Dave Mustaine's guitar roadie, Willie, is a huge Exciter fan. And in the, early, in the afternoon, before people were in the venue, like it was an outdoor event, uh, Willie was sound checking Dave Mustaine's guitar. I'm on, it's a, picture this one huge stage with a curtain down the middle. So it's, let's say it's stage A and stage B. Uh-huh. So mega, that's where set up on stage A. But I was staying over on stage B because we're sort of getting ready to play, you know? And all of a sudden, someone taps me on the shoulder, and it's Willie, Dave Mustaine's guitar roadie, with Dave Mustaine's guitar playing through Dave's amp. And he says to me, John, I've always wanted to do this. And he breaks into this exciter riff, okay? (laughs) 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 
you know, I said, oh, man, thanks so much. I mean, he says, no, John, you don't understand, man. He says, I'm from Chicago. I've been Dave's guitar tech for seven years. But he said, I know every one of your riffs. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we instantly became friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It's uh, very flattering uh, with people that we meet around the world from any country that compliment us. You know, we're blown away, you know. And yeah. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that because you guys do deserve that. How many releases does Exciter have? It's like 13 or something I like that? I think, I've lost track, but I think it's 13 or 14. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with all those releases, you, you would hope that you were be, would be, you know, more popular in some way commercially, I, I, let's say, than you I, are. I, I don't know why we never broke through in a bigger way. I think it was a combination of uh, lack of interest, really. I mean, everyone likes us, but no one's willing to really get behind us and push us in a, in an aggressive way. So we're, we're kind of like this underground band that everybody really likes and never got the big push behind us. I think that's where, you know, we sort of lack. And but. so looking at that, I mean, as a, quote, fact, in 2012, where do you stand? You're still playing an exciter. Well, I mean, yeah. now, recent, in the past few years, I mean, we've had uh, management people sign us. Uh, we have an agency currently in L.A. on the lookout for shows for us. You know, we have three websites that you can go to. We're all over YouTube, mm. uh, live, live shows from various countries. Lately, there's been a big interest a new interest in, in Exciter, you know, and our fans, I know, noticed some of the shows are really like a wide age group from like, you know, 14 years old to like, you know, 60 years old. Yeah. I, I'm just content where we are. I mean, if things happen in a better way for years to come, fine, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. But, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy where we are. I mean, the, every and another thing, every record we put out are good records. There's no filler songs. Uh, it's true to the original style. You know, the vocals have changed, of course, because we're not the original guys. Um, right. You know, but I'm content where we are right now. Were you content in the in the '80s when you were watching some of your peers get bigger? Well, it was very frustrating because we were there in the beginning. So I think that's where some of the aggression comes in in this music and particularly my guitar playing because it was a <laughs> It was out of frustration and being pissed off, you know. So you come up with these crazy, wild guitar riffs because, <laughs> depending what kind of state of mind I was in when I was writing, trying to write songs, it was a little bit frustrating. But you know, we just didn't have the the big support like some of these other bands had, you know. And we and we still don't today. So I I don't know what it is. I'll give you another Canadian band comparison. Us and Anvil. I mean, we're very good friends, and you know, we have toured together in Europe. But they're, you know, they're sort of like in the same situation we're in. I think that you're a much better band. Well, what I'm saying is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they've had, you know, they've been in the same from circles. the movie that they had out, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we, you know, we're, we're friends. We like each other, but it's, it's a struggle. You know, maybe it's because we're from Canada and uh, we don't have the big management and the big record company. You know, pushing the because it's all based on you know investment and you know, how much money a record company or management is willing to put into you to, to you know to, uh-huh. to put you in the in a higher level you know. Were all of your records released in the United States? Well, not everyone. Half of them were like imports to North America, Canada, and U.S. Right. 
most of them are just European only. And if uh, you you know if you live in the U.S. or Canada, you had to order. So you end up having to pay the extra. Yeah, you pay. You go to your them. local record store. You know they have they would have our listing in their computer, but it'd be an import. Right, right. So, you know, or you could you know now you could order online, of course. But I say half our records over our career have been imports. So then you were talking about when you write and your guitar parts being intense. I was going to ask you, what's the writing process for Exciter like? And has it changed since the 80s um, with all your lineup changes? In the early days, you know, I didn't do all the songwriting. I came up with, let's say, most of the guitar riffs and the idea. And of course, Dan Beeler being the vocalist and drummer, he, he read all the lyrics, all the melodies. Sometimes he'd come up with a musical idea, which I would interpret my way, what he wanted, because he wasn't really a, an instrumentalist. He didn't play an instrument beside the drums, you know? Mm. So he would relate to me how, you know, what kind of riff he had in mind. So I do my own interpretation. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, but of course you know, he's a drummer, you know, so there's no way to get that out there in any Yeah, like he didn't play guitar, form. like he couldn't play the riff for me and say, hey, John, this is the way I want the riff to go. Like, so did you have a lot of like rehearsals where he was going, chunk, 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 or chunk, Basically. Chunk, chunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then... Uh, Alan Johnson, the original bassist, he wrote some really good songs too, you know. But then when the original lineup completely dissolved in 93, because I shared part of the vision of what the band should sound like, then I started writing everything, lyrics, melodies, music, which I still do today. So I, I do it all from start to finish. Now, of course, the other guys in the band put in their input, but all this, most of the songwriting is basically me. Are you in touch with Alan Johnson or Dan Bueller? Not really, no. It's kind of a strained uh, situation there. With both of them? Um, Just give me a yes or no. <laughs> doesn't matter. I, I don't want uh, yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, yeah. if, we, if we walk down the street and we see each other, we say, hi, how are you? That's, mm-hmm. that's about the extent of it. Oh, okay. But okay. I mean, I, I mean, there's no bad blood or nothing. Just a lot of stuff happened over the years. And, you know, sometimes the wound is deep, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a trailer for the Rock of Ages, right. the movie, and there was a, at the Bourbon Room, the uh, the marquee says, Bad Religion and Exciter playing. Well, last summer, Warner Brother Films contacted Megaforce Records in New York because they had re-released some of our 80s records back in 2006. Oh, great. But they contacted them to contact us. They wanted to feature our name in two background scenes in the new Tom Cruise movie. Wow. Rock of Ages, and they wanted uh, written permission to do so. Jason Dancer, that's the fellow who, I guess he's one of the creative directors involved with the movie. He's a big Exciter fan. So he contacted me. We talked on the phone, and he said, I need your permission, and we want to put your name in two background scenes. One will be a marquee sign outside a venue. Yeah, that's in the trailer for the film. That's right. in the trailer. I never saw the movie. <laughs> I saw it in the trailer, and I was like, I think that's his bad. And I had to go home and look at the trailer on the computer but it went by so quickly i was like i think it said exciter and i didn't it's actually a, see the bad religion it, it does say exciter yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they told me the second scene would be a scene inside a rock bar mm-hmm. and it's going to be a big blow-up poster of our first album cover heavy oh. metal mania wow have you seen the movie I, no i haven't seen it <laughs> right. i will I, I mean, I think it was one of those Tom Cruise's, Tom Cruise movies that definitely not a blockbuster, but because it's already come and gone, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and so many movies are like that nowadays. Yeah. Oh well, good. Well, I'm glad that they got in touch with you. I'm, and and isn't yeah. that cool though to have a fan in like a high place like that? He could have yeah. picked any name of any well, band. Well, you know, Diane, that's exactly what I asked him. I said, "Why 
exciter. Why did you? And he said, look, I have all your vinyls at home. He said, I've been a, been a, a big fan. And we're sitting around brainstorming about scenes in the movie. And I, I came up with your name. So I was super cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Hey, do you, um, do you have any um, endorsements? Myself, no. Uh, Clammy, our bass player. He has, has this, a, uh, that green bass. Well, it's green strings. Green strings, okay. Uh, he's endorsed. <laughs> uh, DR strings, that's what those are, those colored strings. Mm-hmm. Fluorescent, they glow in the dark. I mean, he likes them fine. <laughs> also, if the lights go out, you you know where he is. Yeah, and then the base is uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, it's uh, the custom shop, which I believe is an ex-employee of BC Rich Guitars. He was sort of, he knew Clammy, or he was friends with Clammy, and... So Clammy has an endorsement with, with that company. Rick, our drummer, has a symbol endorsement. And oh my God, I forgot the name of the symbols. <laughs> but myself, I don't have any. I use the same stuff, same gear, my Marshalls from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I use Washburn guitars from the early 90s. And, you know, it's my equipment. I like the way it plays. You know, I don't have to, not that I'm putting down endorsements, but I don't need a, a company telling me, you got to play our instrument, and you got to play this amplifier, and you know, like uh, I have my my equipment, and that's where I stand, you know. So that's just my personal opinion oh, yeah. on, on endorsements, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, when I go on stage, I want to, you know, the guitar I feel comfortable with. I know the sound of my amp. I'm going to get what I'm going to what I need. Right. You know, because I, I have my own style. I have my own sound. So, so yeah, that's that's about the extent of our endorsements. So for um, every time you tour, do you you bring your own backline then all the time? Have you have you toured and played other people's gear? Well, the thing is, the only equipment we tour with is our guitars only. Oh, okay. All the backline is supplied by the promoter. Like we do these big festivals in Europe and South America. Um, oh, and they the back, ha- they the back- have enough gear there where you're going to get what you need. Well, most bands that play these festivals, they they all ask for basically the same stuff. The guitar players want Marshalls. And in most cases, the bass player wants Ampegs, Ampeg SVTs. Right. The drum kit, you know, a double bass kit Pearl or a double bass kit Tama. It's pretty standard backline for most metal bands. Mm-hmm. And so especially the, ba- yeah, the bigger festivals, they have a, a, a decent amount of gear there, so you can get one amp from the other stage or that kind of thing if you have to. Yeah, like when we get up there, they might have you know, three different Marshall models to choose from. And same things with the bass amp, you know, like, you know, so just before showtime, you know, the stage tech will come up to me and say, okay, John, what do you want? So I tell him I'll take, you know, I want that head and those two cabinets over there. He says, okay, fine. That's good. That's pretty, yeah. That's like going shopping. I want that and I want that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Very nice. And and another, you know, kind of funny thing is I don't use any effect pedals. Like, I'm a guy, I plug into my amp, turn it up, and I play. I don't need racks of effects i don't need compressors i don't need eqs but i I do use one mxr distortion plus pedal to boost my guitar solos a little bit and you know these big festivals that you know let's say we're on the side of the stage waiting for the band before us to finish and the guitar tech will come up to me and he'll say okay john where's your rig man and where's your right give me your pedal board where's your pedal board where's your midi controller and i'm standing there holding this one stomp box (laughs) and i said well this is it. Here it is. I hope you can handle it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he says, you're kidding, right? I said, no. He says, thank you so much, they say. 
because we get guys coming in with these big racks and cables everywhere and the MIDI controller and things screw up during the show and then they blame it on us and you and you're handing me one stomp box. And your stuff isn't going to screw up either. (laughs) You make it easy for yourself, you make it easy for them, and you can get the sound that you need very simply. Exactly. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, like Jeff Beck played here about two summers ago. We have, in Ottawa here, we have this huge, like, two-week event called the Blues Fest, which is not actually all blues bands. They have all kinds of bands. But Jeff Beck played here two years ago. And a uh, friend's brother was working the stage. And apparently Jeff Beck uses one pedal. He has a, a boss flanger, and that's the only pedal he had on stage. But because he plays with his fingers on the Stratocaster, and I don't know if he's playing through a Marshall or, or a Fender Twin, but he gets all these incredible tones from his guitar, and he's using no effects. I, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> well, when Jeff Beck started playing, too, there pro- probably was a lot less around, and he probably was doing a lot of experimenting just with his hands and hitting with his nails and, you know. I know. Well, I mean, I've seen him play so many times. It's like, you know, I, I walked, I, I live walking distance from this venue where he played, and I was walking home saying to myself, and I think I play guitar, you know. I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to play guitar again. No, no, no. <laughs> no, when you I'll see just... someone that, that, you know, incredible, like you just feel useless. You feel like you should go and take guitar lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, uh, consider that people say that about you when they see you play. See me play? Yeah, yeah, consider that they say about themselves like when they see you play. So just keep that in mind. There's a, there's a balance out there. Yeah, I guess so. Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> in, in the metal world, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I we just played a show here in our hometown two weeks ago. How did that go? Fantastic. It was a small club, but uh, like five bands, four opening support acts, and then us. But we are playing Toronto on the 17th, and uh, there's a, a website for the, for the gig, who's going, who's not going, all that kind of stuff. But there's one guy who wrote in that, you know, he, not that I'm bragging or, you know, but he said, I'm going to the show for sure to see John Ricci shred his guitar. The guy is a, you know, great showman, intense guitar player, and he's so tight with the band, and I have to be there. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, don't, yeah. Don't yeah. be shy about reading those things and taking them to heart. You've been doing it for a long time, and yeah. you've written so many great songs, Really glad to have you here. Hey, you know, you're here to be a guest DJ, so yeah. um, I do want to get to the music, and okay. uh, it looks like the first thing is uh, rather familiar to you. What uh, what do we have here as our first song up, John? Well, the thing is, um, this is from the first sort of album where the new Exciter was featured, Aggressor. It's from the Dark Command album, mm-hmm. 1996. It's all the ingredients that Exciter's known for. It's fast, it's heavy, a good Exciter song, and then uh, or the singer that we had at the time, Jacques Boulanger, came from the sort of Rob Halford slash Bruce Dickinson school of singing. So, um, you know, it's a real, you know, enjoyable song to, to listen to. Excellent. Yeah. So my guest is John Ricci of Exciter, and uh, we're going to hear some Exciter now. Please stay tuned. In the depths of an evil mind, hearing cries of demented Suicide, hopes the ghost of death. 
My guest is John Ricci. John, are you there? I'm here. All right. We just yeah. heard an awesome set of music programmed by you, um, Motorhead. What do you have to say about Motorhead? Well, you know, we actually, one of our, I guess, first or second professional gig was opening for Motorhead here in our hometown, Ottawa, at this really high-profile venue back in 1982, I guess. Wow. And it was... It was uh, uh, Lemmy, of course, Filthy, and then Brian, the guitar player. Oh, my God, I forgot his last name from Thin Lizzy. Oh, Brian played. Robertson. Brian Robertson. Yeah. Oh, that was the Another Perfect Day uh, uh, right. lineup. Right, yeah. So, wow. Did you get to talk to Brian Robertson? Well, he was really super drunk. 
<laughs> and we're in the office of the venue. He was right out of it. Like, uh-huh. I don't know, he was just, I was talking to him, but he just wasn't taking it in, so... <laughs> Uh, well, you know, and he has that reputation of that. I'm sure that something will come back to me for saying that. But I read the, a, a bunch of the, the Thin Lizzy like, books like and all he, that. And he wasn't he wasn't coherent. That's how blasted he was. So that was one of the reasons why they left him off the cover of Bad Reputation. <laughs> At that, well, that's what I read. That's too bad. Well, yeah. So I, I don't. I didn't really get to talk to him or get to know him at all. But uh, we chatted with Lemmy and, and Filthy Animal. They're very nice, and you know, we were like ready to go on and we, but like I said for some reason we rendezvoused in the office of the venue for whatever reason I can't remember but you know I had all the leather and studs on and you know and Lemmy looks at me and he says <laughs> he goes holy he says I, I didn't know we were playing with Judas Priest <laughs> you know because all the leather and studs and that's everything. funny so uh, <laughs> but we, we we did the show and um, you know their equipment used up most of the stage where mm-hmm. we set up our gear in front of them and it was we were right at the very edge of the stage now the stage was maybe five feet tall right mm-hmm. and we're right on the edge of it because oh, that's the only way we could put off. our equipment in front of motorheads equipment right and basically when you're the opening act for an act of that stature you take what you get you know what i mean sure so then we had to get road cases and piled them in front of the stage so we could put our monitors and our mic stand. Oh, how funny. That's all, that's <laughs> but well, the show that, went on, and it was a really good show. And that was when you guys were a three-piece, so it was only Dan singing? That's right. Right at the drums. So, so okay, got it. So, and then the things, we couldn't move. I mean, if I, if I move to the left, I crash into a dance cymbal. If I move to the right, <laughs> I'd fall off the stage, you know, so... <laughs> Beware! Yeah. <laughs> and then I think I saw you uh, a couple of years later. Was, was the tour Motorhead Merciful Fate and you guys? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw. I saw that was uh, five or four. Yeah. But that was awesome. Oh my god! I saw that at the Capitol Theater in New Jersey. Yes. Yeah, that was a super show. Oh my god! Yeah. How much interaction did you have with the, like the the three bands interact with each other? Or the interaction? Yeah. I mean, how much did you, I mean, did you talk to King Diamond? Oh, did you... my God. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I just saw King Diamond. We played the Sweden Rock Festival on June 7th. Mm-hmm. And King Diamond was actually doing his big comeback because seven years ago he had triple bypass. Mm. And he told me that he, only, he died on the operating table for like three hours. <gasps> wow. The, the doctors actually revived him. But uh got along so well with wow. Merciful Fate and then we... Not us in particular, but his his bandmates at the time were all, every night played pranks on uh, King Diamond. <laughs> you know, they they do all this funny stuff and try to g- piss him off on purpose <laughs> on on stage. Well, you know, during the show. Oh, really? Yeah, all kinds of these little pranks, and then the, oh, the bass player at the time, Timmy, would come up to us and say, "Okay, here's what I'm scheming to do. What do you guys think?" You know. <laughs> We had a really, really good time. Oh, that's cool. Because we, we, we actually shared the same tour bus. Us and Merciful Fate were on the same tour bus, and then, of course, Motorhead had their own tour bus. Of course they did. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But we, we got along so, uh, you know, was, the Motorhead lineup was Wurzel and, and Phil Campbell. Right, yeah. And uh, Pete, uh, Pete Gill was on that tour. He's a uh, one-time Saxon drummer. Mm-hmm. He was on that tour. Right. And um, 
Actually, I have a picture in my scrapbook of us in the hotel in New York City, uh, both bands posing in the lobby, like the both bands together, which uh, is a really cool picture. Well, you you have an actual scrapbook of like gigs and oh stuff like that. Oh my God, yes, yeah. <sighs> I have all these really rare things. So when are you putting out a book, John? We you know a lot of people have seen that. I have all kinds of stories. I have Metallica stories, Megadeth stories. Black Sabbath of stories, Motorhead stories, yeah. Merciful Fate stories. That's got, the thing. You're the guy who's, uh, who's there, who was in the middle of all of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's too soon. I'm still a young person. <laughs> well, sure, but it'll take a while to write the book. It'll take a while to put it together. Yeah, I guess so. If you have time. Uh, speaking of which, yeah, I have a question from a, uh, a listener who saw you in 1985, and he wants to know, um, when is Exciter going to be in New York City again? You know, we, we've had some tentative offers uh, because, you know, we, we do a lot of one-off shows. Right. Like, we haven't been touring, like, long tours. We've had some tentative offers, but we just couldn't, the conditions weren't right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this point, I have no idea. Okay. We, we'd love to come back down because, of course, Kenny lives there. You know, right, sure. In the big apple, the commute so would be easy for him. It'd be once. very easy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I, it's a hard question to answer at this point. I have no idea. Okay, okay. So, well, yeah. just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. Um, before Motorhead, uh, a little double shot there of Black Sabbath, Dio. Uh... Well, the thing is, the Mob Rules. If you remember that movie, Heavy Metal. I actually, I, a, I've heard of it. I actually have not ever seen well, it. Well, it's an animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thing, sci-fi animation with a heavy metal soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the Mob Rules is featured in that movie, but I mean, I like the Mob Rules from when the record came out, of course. But I mean, one of my main influences, of course, has been Tony Iommi, like like many other guitar players. But the guy is such a riff master, and when you hear the opening riff to the Mob Rules, I get goosebumps. Mm. I mean, oh my God, I wish I'd written that riff, you know? <laughs> so, and then when I went to see this movie, Heavy Metal, that song is in it, and, and it fits perfect in the scene that they applied the, the song to. And it's like, it's magic all over again, you know? That's why I like that song so much. Now, Children of the Sea, again, Ronnie James Dio, I mean, I, I've met him a few times, mm. very casually, like, you know, backstage and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, he complimented Black Sabbath's, like, uh, dark sound so well. Yeah. And Children of the Sea is is a perfect example of that. Mm. So, now, Hellbent for Leather, Judas Priest, I mean, this is their early beginnings, right? Yeah. I I, I know, I I think they were still discovering themselves, too, at that point. But, I mean, as far as heavy music in the 70s, you have to have, you know, you you have to have that record, you know. Otherwise, you weren't a metalhead, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some inspector out there going to go look at your record collection. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and all these bands and all these songs are major influences to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And see, and uh, so we're going to go into the next set of music. What's the um... What's the first song you're going to... Speaking of Judas Priest. <laughs> well, R- Resurrection, I mean, I know Rob Halford did some other uh, projects 
you know, between and after Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fight. Fight, and then mm-hmm. there was, I think, two? Two. I two. think it was, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But resurrection is like, you know, you think it would, it would be the, like the next Judas Priest album, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. You know? So, it's just all the Judas Priest ingredients in this song. I mean, the the riff, Rob Halford's vocal performance, is so Judas Priest, I mean... You know, when I first bought the the CD and played it, I mean, again, it was, you know, if the first song of any record blows you away, then you know the rest of the CD is going to be good. Yeah. Most of the time, so. Well, at least you know there's one great song on it. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> to start with it. Yeah, exactly. So, right. And so. then the next song is Walk by Pantera. Now, I've, we've, I've never met any of the guys, but... When we were touring in the U.S. in the again, you know, 80, between '83 '85, we played in Austin. I think it was Austin or San Antonio. I forget. I forget. But I found out afterwards that the guys in Pantera were in the audience, mm. which I think back then they were sort of still in kind of like in their hair hair days. Right. Yeah. They they did have that phase. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, apparently, uh, Dimebag Daryl was in the audience. I mean, I heard this through the grapevine, I, you know, and um, I think the singer was in the audience as well, mm-hmm. taking it all in, right? Sure. You know, like us just thrashing away and the speed riffs that were, you know, they were absorbing all this. <laughs> well, I was going to say, there was this, uh, p- there had to have been a point in time for Pantera where they saw the light and cut their hair or, d- or at least stopped using the hairspray. Yeah. You know, because they're, and I'm not really that familiar with their catalog, but I know the record that Walk comes off of. And that that's a tough record, you yeah. know. And their appearance before that, and I don't really know how many years it is and all that, you know, it was like the foofy, glammy kind of look. And I don't know if they sounded like Rat or not, but... Yeah. Um, you know, they definitely saw the light, and I, you know, it would be really cool to to think that uh, that you guys were the ones who set them straight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> who knows? You know, I I know at some point they had an Exciter T-shirt. At some point, you know, I would see a, a a picture, a photo in the, in a magazine or something, and one of them, you know, might be wearing an Exciter shirt or something. Mm. You know? Well, that's a neat thing to observe. Who was the most surprising person you've ever seen wearing an Exciter Exciter shirt? Well, you know. Sebastian Bach is a big Exciter fan. Really? Yes. Huh. Uh, there was one time, I think early 90s, we were in Europe touring with Rage, a band called Rage. Yeah. And uh, Skid Row was playing their hometown here. And the story goes like this. Um, Dan Bieler's sister was downtown and bumped into Sebastian Bach because he was just walking around, killing some time during the day. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she said, oh, I'm Dan Bieler's sister, you know, and and he, you know, he freaked out and everything. And uh, somehow they met up and they, uh, she gave him an Exciter shirt. That night on stage, at this huge arena that they were playing here in town, he, he was wearing his Exciter shirt. Wow. Now, what? then the, the local newspaper who covered the event took a picture of, of Sebastian Bach on stage, which was printed the following day, and there he is wearing the Exciter shirt. Nice, <laughs> nice. So yeah, he's a big fan, fan of ours, you know. Hmm. That's okay. very neat. Yeah, awesome. 
So we're gonna... I, I, actually, I, we just saw Sebastian Bach again at the Sweden Rock Festival on June the seventh. Mm. We're on the same plane and we're uh, collecting our luggage at, on the conveyor belts, and uh, you know, we chatted and everything. And that's very cool. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go into this next set of music, uh, leading it off with Halford. My guest is John Ricci of Exciter, and stay tuned. We are WFMU. John Ricci, are you there? Yep, Diane, I'm hanging in there. He is, he is. (laughs) After uh, another Black Sabbath selection, this time on the uh, the Aussie, the Aussie camp. War Pigs, I mean, it's like a soundtrack to a horror movie. You know, it's just perfect. It is. Uh, Yeah, I know, and it's so haunting, the riff. And like I was talking about Tony Iommi earlier, I mean, he's like the riff master forever, as far as I'm concerned. You know, that song, is, it's so dark and it's eerie and, you know, it was way ahead of its time mm-hmm. back when it was released. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, when I hear that song, it, it just reminds me, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you know, what I was doing and, and so on. And, you know, as far as like a distorted gu- guitar sound, hey, that's what I want my guitar to sound like, you know. Have you ever uh, met Tony Iommi? Very briefly. We opened for them. Actually, this is a funny story, I'll tell you. <laughs> Please. Our first professional gig was opening for Black Sabbath here in our hometown, Ottawa. Mm. Every year, uh, we used to have this what we call the Central Exhibition. It was like a fair, but there's this huge outdoor stadium on the fairgrounds. And Black Sabbath was playing uh, during the Mob Rules tour, and uh, Johnny Van Zant's band was supposed to be the opening band. This was like on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. but it rained really, really heavily here. We had you know heavy torrential rain. The gig was canceled for Wednesday, but the rain date was Friday night. Now, myself and the other guys in the band had bought front row seats to go see the show. I get a phone call on Thursday morning from the concert promoter, um, who I had been bothering for years. <laughs> to, uh, give, to give you a gig? Yes. <laughs> I said to him, his name was Dennis Rufo. I said, Dennis, listen. Ever come a time where the opening band cancels at the last second, call us, we'll be there. And sure enough, on the Thursday morning, I get the phone call from Dennis Rufo, and he said, John, are you sitting down? I said, no, should I be? He said, do you want to open for Sabbath tomorrow night? My opening band canceled, they can't do it. $200, a case of beer, and uh, it's an outdoor event, as you know. Your your dressing room trailer will be right beside Sabbath, so you can hang out with the guys backstage. Do you get a refund on your front row (laughs) tickets? Yes, he did. <laughs> I said, well, Dennis, we, we, we bought like six tickets. You know, it's us and a few buddies are going to be at the show. He said, look, go to the box office tomorrow night. I'm going to be in the box office. I'll give you back your money for the tickets. I said, sure. Sounds like a plan. Wow. <laughs> the so, opening band canceled? Why would you cancel opening Well, no, they didn't cancel. They couldn't make the rain date. They were booked. They, were, they had a smaller gig somewhere else. Ugh. 
I guess on selected dates, they were opening for Sabbath, and then on the off dates, they're doing smaller gigs on their own. Oh, right, okay. That's, that was the situation. They didn't really cancel. They just couldn't do the rain date. Mm, well so we, we got the gig. We're backstage in this outdoor event, and Tony Iommi was walking around, and he was like an idol, right? So I walked up to him, and I said, hey, my name is John. I'm the guitar player for the opening act. And, you know, I started to talk to him about, like guitars and amps and just like small talk but you know what i nothing against tony iomi but he 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 didn't give me the time of day mm. <laughs> i was so disappointed wow it was my heart sank here i am you know meeting the guy the <laughs> the metal master and these i can't get his attention and you know after i was a very awkward for me because he wasn't I couldn't get his attention, you know, like he kept looking over my shoulder and looking, you know, I, you know, he, he wouldn't look me in the eye. And I said, oh, Jesus, what am I doing? I felt so insignificant. <laughs> so, you know what, I, I cut it short. I said, I shook his hand and said, thank you so much for all the great music you guys for Black Sabbath has put out over the years. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you later. And then I walked away. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I met Tony Iommi. <laughs> well, I have to say, it's not like I've ever heard that he's a bubbly, enthusiastic guy. I mean, I've never really heard anything about his personality, I don't think. No, no, and I'm not judging his personality. Oh, yeah, just, no, I got it. You sure. know, he probably gets that all the time. You sure. know, all these young bands opening for Sabbath and our goo-goo gaga over him and everything. He right. probably gets it all the time, all the time. And after a while, they just it's the same old, you know, I, I'm not right. ju- passing judgment. Right, on, yeah. on him, but that that was my experience. Right, yeah, sure, yeah, and that's not that's not surprising, you know, and it's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. Who knows? Yeah, you know, no, no, not at all. Day, not at he's all, yeah. in the middle of thinking about his gig or his riff or his well, yeah, upside down yeah. cross necklace. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you never know what he's. I mean, you know, when yeah. you're, you got to psych yourself up before you go on stage. You never know what's going through your mind. You know? Right, yeah. And what was that gig like for you, knowing that Tony Iommi was like somewhere around? Well, I mean, I, I don't even. They stayed in their trailer when, when we played. I mean, mm-hmm. probably all you hear is a big rumble when you're backstage. Right, I you guess you really that's can't true. make out what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, no, I wasn't. That that part didn't face me at all. I mean, that. Yeah, you were opening for Black Sabbath. Well, no, no. What I'm saying, yeah. I, yes, of course, I was excited. I wasn't there to impress the members of Black Sabbath. I was there to play my show. Of course. You know, first and foremost. Yeah. That's a great break, though, huh? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And that was, that was the start of our career because uh, we had just got signed with Mike Varney for Shrapnel Records in oh, California. Right. That's the U.S. Metal. Well, right? this is actually just after U.S. Metal Volume 2. Oh, okay. First, Mike Varney signed us for that one. Right. And then... And then he, Heavy Metal Maniac. Well, yeah, I mean, then Heavy Metal Maniac. I mean, he's he signed us without... Well, he heard the demo for, for Heavy Metal Maniac, and instantly he, he said, I want to re-sign you for like a full-length album, you know, which turned out to be Heavy Metal Maniac. So you went from, from Shrapnel Records to Megaforce. Was it just a... Was it an easy choice, or was it... Well... Were you, were you wooed? We were wooed. You were wooed. <laughs> Johnny Z Johnny wooed you? Z. <laughs> well, you know, it's Johnny... Kind of, yeah. That's a heavy-handed wooing, isn't it? <laughs> well, he, you know, he he knew this whole movement was going to happen big, right? Yeah. He he saw it coming. He was the spearhead in this area. You yes, know, I mean, exactly. I'm from New Jersey, and I used to shop at Rock and Roll Heaven and and all that, and and uh, yeah, he was he was definitely the one in well, this area. Johnny started calling us. I want to sign you. I want to sign you. Come on, you know. I can do better than uh, Shropno can. I, I can get you dates down here in the U.S. You know, you know, I, we resisted for a, quite a while. 
And why? Why were you resistant? I mean, we were really, we were green. You know, we were really naive. You know, all of a sudden, record companies want to sign us, and we're getting fan mail from all over the world. You know, we didn't know how to handle it. Like, it's just like every musician's dream come true. Like, it's such a fast spurt. So was Shrapnel really comfortable for you? Exactly, because we had gotten to know Mike Varney very well. We knew we could trust him. Oh, right, yeah. With everything. Mm -hmm. But the only thing he was lacking, he he wouldn't give us, he wouldn't help us get any gigs. You know, we wanted to play the U.S. so bad, like every band wants to break in the U.S., right? Sure. You know, Mike couldn't promise any of that. Where where Johnny Z was like, I'm gonna get you some dates down here with Anthrax, and we're gonna do some shows in the New Jersey, uh, New York area. You know, you know, he was like the guy, the guy with the big cigar. You know, like yes, you know, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> We thought, you know what, let's just go for it, you know, like, because Mike Varney, you know, he put the record out, but he's not willing to give us any additional support as far as, like, live performances. We decided just to go with Megaforce, and uh, Johnny did arrange, I think, three dates with Anthrax that we played together, and then he brought us down to Ithaca, New York, to record uh-huh. the record, and that's where Carl Kennedy came in. Mm-hmm. We were talking about him yeah, earlier, nice. and Carl was uh, hired to produce Violence and Force. Such a great record. It was awesome record. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh my God. I mean, again, we were like we were like innocent. We didn't know what we were doing really. We just let's try to get these songs down and see what they sound like. We had no idea it was going to be another Exciter classic. You know. I'm glad to hear you say that that it's a great record because some people go like, well, we did the best we could and that kind of thing. But I'm glad to hear you recognize that. Well, we're in, when we were in the in the control room listening back to what we did and on the quite a few sessions uh scott ian was sitting in because of course they were affiliated with johnny z and megaforce and scott was hanging around the studio when we were recording now uh, and we were all sitting there in the control room and you know the opening rift the song violence and force and then next song scream in the night and it was just blowing you out of the out of your seat it's <laughs> like yeah 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 you know <laughs> you know it was just so uh, there were innocent beginnings for us you know and was an amazing time of music just the whole idea that you the, know. the whole vibe and uh johnny c had these uh, group of people that we stayed at uh, their home their, their houses you know they were putting us up while we we're staying in ithaca instead of spending money on the hotel you know but that whole vibe you know of people that were hanging around us and uh, it was like a big support system you know everyone was so into the music there's some really nice people that we met uh, metal joe Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, yeah. We stayed at his place a couple of nights, and every night was a huge party with all these people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a free-for-all party. It's amazing you got anything done in the studio. Well, you know, the the hangovers were crazy the next day. I mean, oh, <laughs> it was so hard to focus, you know. And, and then after the recording session, we'd go to a bar and then do shooters all night you know like and i'm not a heavy drinker i'm not a big drinker so it really affected me you know like then you wake up the next morning and oh my god you know such a huge hangover and then you had to sort of eat and get yourself settled down before you go back in the studio that's so funny so that was that was such a good time <laughs> awesome so um, I want to get into your um, your final set of music. So I'm I'm taking a look at the clock here. I want to make sure we we get everything uh, fitted in. What's the uh, What's the next song in your set? In your last set, John? Well, Wheels of Steel, Saxon. Now, as far as Exciter's influences for speed, it would definitely be Saxon. You know, fast, heavy metal. You know, some of these Exciter songs, riffs that I came up with, I kind of had Saxon in the back of my mind when I was writing the riffs. 
Uh, then we move on to Rapid Fire, which again, a uh, big influence on Exciter as far as like song arrangement. Then we go Iron Maiden, uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue. I mean, I still like their early Iron Maiden with Paul Diano. I mean, Bruce Dickinson's great, but there's something more sinister about the way uh, Paul Diano sings. That's very well put, yeah. So uh, those are my other, you know, some of my other favorite songs. And I just want to mention too, because I said that I would at the beginning of the show and I haven't done it yet, the um, the website for Exciter, the the most, uh, the official site is... Well, the official one um, is ExciterMetal.com. Okay. And okay. it's from a fellow down in Wichita, Kansas, put it together for us. His name is Jonathan Hollins, and he does websites for a lot of different bands. Oh, cool. But, uh, so excited. that's where we can find the most recent uh, information about you guys, like your November 17th uh, gig in Toronto? That's right. Mm-hmm. com. That's the official one. And uh, do you have any other gigs coming up? Well, uh, confirmed for uh, February 8th and 9th, we're playing two shows in Japan. Nice. In Osaka, Japan. Uh, the promoter contacted us, contacted our manager. Are those yeah. headlining shows? They're headlining shows, or I guess... Good. I'm assuming smaller gigs uh, with two support acts. So we're really excited. It's the first time for us in in Japan. Exciter is excited. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Good. We're always excited. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so we'll get to the set, and then uh, we'll be back. My guest is uh, the songwriter and guitarist of Exciter, John Ricci, and we've got some Saxons. Stay tuned. John Ricci, are you there? I'm here. He is still there. Excellent. So uh, we're winding down the the, uh, the program. I just um, wanted to remind listeners that the official Exciter website is excitermetal.com. Is there any other online entity that you want listeners to know about? Well, there's actually two more. There's like a fan website, which is um, run by a buddy of ours in Sweden. His name is Peter Svensson. There's a lot of stuff there. Like, I mean, there's interviews and history and biography, photos. And the uh, site is um, listen dot to slash exciter, and then the other one is actually our bassist Clammy runs it from here from our hometown. MySpace dot com slash exciter official is the uh, exciter MySpace address. It's funny because MySpace is still um, valid for bands. Whereas for most social things, people have sort of like shied away from MySpace and Facebook seems to have taken over. But yeah. I see there's a lot of bands who still really do keep up their, um, their MySpace because it's a better vehicle than, uh, than what Facebook is offering so far. Yeah. 
John, I just want to thank you for making the time, you know, to be here and to, to do the show. And uh, on another level, I want to thank you for keeping Exciter together. And, you know, what I really get from you is that you're just, you're such a huge fan. You're not going to change anything for anybody. And your determination and your de- dedication is really, really obvious. Exactly. You nailed yeah. it right on. I mean, I'm not going to change for anybody. Like, you know, we don't get swayed by trends or anything like that. You know, like we play our music, either you like it or you don't like it. But And we don't, we're not out there to impress anybody. Like, you know, some bands want to get out there and they want to be the, you know, the best guitar player and the best drummer and the best singer. Well, we know we just try to take all our talent and try to uh, focus on one uh, purpose, you know, which is be a good heavy metal band and write good metal music, you know? I think you've succeeded. Yeah. I really (laughs) do. I really do. Yeah, just from all the things that you've told me, and of course I know your history and I know how far back Exciter goes, but really it's like you are like the guy who's the heart and soul of heavy metal from back then up till now. Like, like you are that sort of super fan, super musician, the guy who was there, and I would encourage you to write that book. <laughs> well, it's on my things to do list, though. Well, good. I'm going to check back with you in a, in, a, in a month or two and just ask you how that to-do list is going. You know, well, so. you know, it might be a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So um, you're playing November 17th in Toronto, and uh, anybody who's who's in that area, please go see Exciter. You will not be disappointed. And uh, check out the other, um, the fan site, the listen dot two slash exciter or the MySpace, Exciter official, or then the official website, excitermetal.com. John Ricci, thank you so much for being a guest. Okay. And, and, uh, and anytime, I'm just a phone call away. Awesome. <laughs> Always a metalhead. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Diane. Okay, take care. Okay, bye bye. Bye. And that wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other background work. We are WFMU.